What's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and today we're going to talk to Chris Pantelli from Linkify. And I don't know Chris too well, but we've exchanged emails for a, a few months, actually, trying to get this interview hooked up. So I'm really pumped. And we're going to talk about Haro link building and his background as an entrepreneur, actually, in the restaurant business, which is kind of interesting because I am... Uh, I love food. I love cooking and I'm interested in all that kind of stuff. In fact, uh, one of my guilty pleasures is to watch uh, the Food Network or similar and just people going to restaurants, trying the food and talking to the the restaurateurs and, and all that stuff. So, Chris, welcome to the show. How's it going today? Thank you, Doug. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been a fan for a long time. I also share that as a guilty pleasure. You have a show in the States, uh, drive-ins, dive-ins and dines or something. Yeah, <laughs> guy um, yeah. That's it, yeah. Um, so yeah, really good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. So I want to get to know you a little bit better and kind of go back to the beginning. So just so people understand, like we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into your background here in the beginning, and then we're gonna focus on Haro link building, pretty uh, specifically. So we're gonna dive into a lot of the details, like uh, the advantages of using Haro versus other link building techniques, which of which there's you know dozens of them. We'll also talk mm -hmm. about just the the tips and tricks because you have you know been doing this for quite a while. And I've found that Haro backlinks are some of the most effective that you can get just because of the way, sort of the, the channel that it, it happens in. I mean, these are like news websites or at least very credible websites typically. So that's how the interview is going to go. So Chris, good. Let's, uh, let's dig into uh, your background and I'm going to contradict myself. And I I'm just curious, when did you start working on like affiliate marketing and, and niche sites? Obviously, uh, running a restaurant is much different than digital marketing. Yeah. Okay. So I graduated from university with a degree in economics and uh, I didn't really know what to do. So I took over the family business of fish and chips. Um, I always wanted to have my own business and, uh, I'd something I'd worked in since I was, you know, a teenager as well. Uh, and that, that was really good for the first five or six years. Um, we grew the business and everything was, you know, doing well. Uh, but I did quite early on sort of notice that, uh, it was getting a lot more competitive in the UK. Food prices were increasing, uh, profit margins shrinking. Um, and that was about the time that I came across as, uh, a lot of bloggers often do those sort of glistening income reports online. Um, so I, I started my own personal finance website. That was my foray into the industry. Um, and within about a year, I started getting traction, started making $1,000 a month um, and probably got uh, addicted, as addicted as you can to sort of anything. Um, so I really got the bug for it. Uh, I started um, obviously learning about backlinks. And I think the first sort of campaign that I ran for my own site was a guest posting campaign that went super well, managed to build like 50 links 50 guest post links in about 12 months which you know furthered um how well the site was doing um and i also uh, found out about harrow uh, which is a lot more um intensive time consuming uh, but i wanted those you know super premium ultra amazing links that couldn't be um couldn't be achieved from uh, guest posting or outreach emailing so that's when uh, i started to do harrow i probably sent 30 harrow emails uh, before landing my first one, I was about to give up. And then I remember when I, I landed that first one and it went live, I think it was on a 
a pretty good uh, another pretty good personal finance website and i think the one after i got uh, the one after that i got was a, a new york times so then i really got uh, into it um so started building harrow links as well um and obviously i was working 50 55 hours uh, a week in my fish and chip shop um and definitely uh, looking at the way i could leverage uh, this online digital marketing business to possibly um, get me out of the shop or at least supplement uh, an income in the shop. That's when uh, I needed to offload some of the, the jobs for Life Upswing. And that's when I met my uh, now business partner, my co-founder of Linkify, because um, I wanted him to sort of uh, do some uh, guest post campaigns for me. So he agreed to do that. And he looked at my website and said, yo, hey, where did you get all of these uh, like Harrow style links from? So I explained, I said, I, you know, I do Harrow. And he said, oh, that's cool. He said, uh, do you want to maybe do uh, some Harrow link building for some of his clients? So I, mean, I was already doing like 50 hours a week, but I thought, yeah, go on, then I'll, I'll, I'll give that a go. It sounds good. Um, so we started doing that. And then we started organically seeing that a lot more people wanted that. And we started our own agency, Linkify. And here I am today. What year was it when you started your first, you know, niche or authority site? What year was that? So the finance website was um, the tail end of 2017, I think. Uh, and yep. then as the, as the pandemic started, that's when I started to uh, see the need for something else. I actually also got diagnosed type 1 uh, diabetic as well, just as the pandemic started in the UK. So I knew my, my days of, you know, uh, 12 hours on my feet were probably not going to, you know, I needed to look after my health. Um, so that's when we went all in on, on Linkify, which is coming up to uh, three years old in January. Okay. Three years. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So now we'll, we'll swing back and you mentioned that it was a family business. So yeah, talk about like the history of the restaurant and stuff like that. My, my family's been in fish and chips. They, they came to, uh, my dad's side of the family came to uh, England from Cyprus. Um, they had factory jobs and they know they saved up enough money to be able to buy their first fish and chip shop. The fish and chip shops in England at that time were predominantly uh, run by locals and they used to have really quite short hours. So they'd be open from you know a couple of hours at lunchtime, a couple of hours in the evening. So when my um, my grandparents, uh, my Greek grandparents managed to save up enough money and buy a shop. They just switched it and started opening uh, till one, two o'clock in the morning all day and quickly were able to uh, save up to buy another shop and then another shop. And they built a small, uh, you know, a, a small business of a, a number of shops. So when I graduated from university, it was something that was like established, but they were getting older and it was something that I was really excited to jump into and take over. How many restaurants do they have in their, uh, I guess, it's not portfolio. a franchise, <laughs> portfolio, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, it wasn't too many. I think it was about, uh, at its peak, maybe, I think five or six. Um, okay. And then, uh, yeah, my dad had one as well. Uh, so I, I took over that one after university. And they were sort of interlinked, but not that much. You know, complicated sure. family arrangements. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. So it was like a chain so people could recognize the name from another town, but they didn't, it wasn't run all by the same person. So you were running one shop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And how many people did you have on staff at the shop? Um, so we used to have about, um, on, on the busiest day, we'd probably have, uh, five people. So in total, we'd probably have about seven, eight, nine staff running the one shop. Okay. Gotcha. And then you were in there like 
whatever all the time yeah six, seven days a week or whatever <laughs> like constantly that's it yeah man and how many hours a week were you working did you say like 50 or 60 i used to get there for about 9 a.m and i used to get uh, we started closing earlier and earlier as as we as the sort of industry changed but yeah it was probably um i used to get there for about 9 a.m and get home about 10 p.m and we'd have like an hour's lunch break in the middle so it was it was graft it was hard graft yeah yeah physically demanded yeah and the restaurant business yeah you're like running around all the time you got to keep the customers happy and then there's dr drama going on with your staff potentially mm. so yeah what, breaking. <laughs> yeah what, what kind of challenges did you have any like big yeah maybe things breaking that you had to overcome i think and this is what drew me so much to uh the online space is first of all you are just limited by proximity in any physical business you are it doesn't matter how much marketing you do. There is only going to be a, a set number of people that are physically going to be able to come to a brick and mortar of business. So it did feel oftentimes that you would be banging your head up against the wall when you were trying to offer the best product, the best service. But really, you are just so limited in terms, especially for food as well. Um, you are so limited uh, with the radius of, of who it is that, that you can serve. So I think a food business like that, it has um, a ceiling. So, and I was always aware of that, but that just became increasingly more of a, an issue for me, especially if you're someone that's like motivated and driven to to grow and experiment and test and and, and tweak these sorts of things. It's it's you are so limited within that um, confined location based business. So there there would have been an option to you know to to open more premises, um, but the whole industry itself was facing, you know, massively rising commodity costs. So fish, potatoes, every other year there would be a crisis. So the weather, I mean, I haven't really looked in. Sometimes I'll dive into the old like industry Facebook group and I just see, I think this year they've had potato prices, 25 kilogram sacks. I think we were paying about eight pound when I got out with the weather that's been happening this year, they've gone up to 25 pound. It's a four X sometimes on commodity prices and you can't put, your portion price is up by four times because you know no one will come. It, it was just a constant uphill um, battle. That's how it felt. Man, yeah, and it, you know, you hear. I guess the stats over here are like really dramatic for restaurants that close. And I mean, just as a observer and per, a person that like drives around and goes to restaurants, like a restaurant opens, they're open for like a year or two, and then they close, and then there's kind of a revolving. Uh, door where like new restaurants pop in and I don't know the success rate is very, it's pretty low. It's like 10% succeed or something like that. You had the advantage, at least you were coming into like a known entity, a business mm -hmm. model, you had things running and it, it sounds like since it was a family business, you worked there like as a kid, right? Like growing up, like you knew the ins and outs and you were in there, yeah. whatever frying stuff when you were 10 years old or something, right? Not quite that young. I think about 12. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? It breaks my heart as well because, you know, I know the industry. I know the blood, sweat and tears that, that, that goes in and we all have to eat, but it's just become so competitive. You know, there are so many choices and it's so difficult to, uh, to, to survive out there. And when you're getting hit with, you know, ever increasing taxes, legislations, random food checks, spot checks. I think we got raided by immigration twice when I was there to make sure we didn't have illegal immigrants working there. It's just it's just one thing after another, and it just feels like you can't put your head above water. So anyone that's making a success of it and enjoying it, uh, you know, my hat goes off to you. But 
for me, I, I noticed the signs early on and I, uh, that's when I started you know, exploring um, other avenues. And I'll just highlight a little parallel, right? So this is a internet marketing <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I just like food a lot. I love uh, <laughs> diners, drive-ins and dives show too. That's the one yeah. that I binge on often, but here's yeah. the real point, right? Here in the uh, like niche site SEO industry, you know, we whine and complain about Google or like Amazon lowers rates or some other thing, right? There's a lot of mm. external factors. Chris, you just highlighted like whatever 10, like very dramatic things that are also external factors in a brick and mortar business. So mm. people want to find something. Usually it's, it's newer people like inexperienced entrepreneurs that are, they, they want to find something that's, you know, passive, highly profitable. It doesn't take much time and you're immune to external factors. But the truth is, even if you are in a brick and mortar business where you feel like, okay, it's really hard for people to compete with us. You still have all these other issues that could pop up that are beyond your control and you just have to deal with it. So I think the message is like, there's no free ride, whatever industry you pick, there's going to be like regulations. There's going to be some other issues, competition levels, change in the industry, new technology. Like there's always something that's popping up and I can't think of any industry that doesn't have that sort of issue. So mm. uh, no you're question right. there, just pulling it together. Like there's no free ride out there. No. Like you have to, you're right. you got to do the work somehow or another. So, yeah. And I think if you can sort of, limit your exposure as much as possible and then doing whatever it is that you're doing if you if you are maximizing your enjoyment your freedom within that then at least that dampens um how much those external factors uh make you feel so if you're doing something you love you 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 live in it you're breathing it you want to do it and you're getting a buzz from it and you're getting success and and you can cope with you know the small failures the external factors they just become sort of much more um you just have a much better resilience to deal with them so yeah i agree with you 100 percent yeah all right so what one other thing to tie into it before we sort of transition here is you you also you ran a restaurant right so you had a staff and you had to hire people and fire people and deal with a, a team managing a team and just being a manager in general and all the complexity of i've worked in restaurants a little bit not as you know not that much but a little bit but you have to manage inventory right so you were talking about the prices and just ordering so some people don't realize like you probably have to order stuff a couple times a week right like based well, on, yeah. or, or maybe more often, maybe every day, depending on the restaurant mm. or what you're ordering, but you have to manage all this stuff. And I am making an assumption. I'll let you confirm or deny here, but um, eventually you had to scale up at Linkify. You had to hire some people and like run this as a business. So are there any specific skills that transferred from the restaurant industry to your agency? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, scaling up is definite well like you said i i sort of did go into a, a business that was um a tried and tested and it was like a known entity so managing that part of it was something which i became quickly accustomed to and obviously um it was pretty much already set up when i would just test and tweak as i go our business now linkify in the online space we are we're growing quickly and trying to scale at the same time. So I'm learning a whole new set of skills, video interviews and um, yeah. 
pre-screening uh, applications, learning how to put like Easter eggs in job adverts so you can wean out the people that haven't registered. Um, so uh, yeah, it's a, it is, a, uh, there's core elements to it, I guess. At the end of the day, you want to hire someone that's going to be good for the job. Um, and my business partner has obviously a lot more experience in the digital marketing space anyway. So um, I'm lent on him a lot for as we're going. Um, but yeah, the skills I would say in, in managing a, somewhat similar although like slack is a whole new world in terms of the the communication i am quite a people person and the team hasn't met yet as a whole i've met my business partner a couple of times in person recently this weekend a conference and once where he lives in portugal um so yeah it's 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 different it's very different but there are definitely fundamental skills which i, I think have crossed over Okay. And how many people do you guys have at Linkify currently on staff or part-time so, or full-time? Uh, so I think we're up to about 11 now and, and we're, we're interviewing currently as well for uh, three or four more positions. And then um, we'll see how, yeah, I think we're going to be hiring quite a bit over the next few months. Um, so we're just learning, we're doing our org charts and just trying to figure out exactly what we want to get out of everyone. Um, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all different. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, there's there's some parallels, but yeah, it's totally different managing people in in person versus um, you know, you hire people probably across the world. You got to make sure they're not fucking around or like using AI, which we'll come back to because <laughs> I'm sure it's impacting um the work that you're doing. So before we transition into the nuts and bolts of a Haro campaign. You have uh, Linkify over there. It is an agency. I'm going to let you, you hooked up the audience with a pretty good discount. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Chris, and just tell them, um, not super, uh, super duper in depth, but like if they are interested and they want to check out the offerings that you have over at Linkify, what do we got and what's the discount? Okay. So yeah. If I come on a podcast, I'll always just try and give as much information away as I can so that people can do this on their own, which they 100% can. And if you are like a bona fide expert in your subject, then you can do this on your own and do really well with it. But it is a headache. And that's why we have like a viable business proposition, because we can do it for you. So if after you, you hear me talk today or you hear other stuff I've been on and you decide you don't want to do it yourself, we can do it for you. You can have 20% off any of our packages with Doug's code, Doug20. Um, and I have a course as well. If you have no idea what to do, uh, the Harrow Masterclass, uh, you can get 20% off that as well with Doug20. So, Very cool. And we'll link yep. up in the show notes here so people can just follow along. I know pe people are like on the treadmill or they're driving the car and the kids are in the back or something. So we'll link up and we'll put the discount code in there so people can check it out a little more in depth. And cool, just... Cool. Um, little little tip for people right so if you if you look at the packages and you're like ah oh, it's too expensive for me but you have a little more time then the master class is perfect to go for because then i mean you literally are getting the blueprint that your team uses and what probably i mean you probably hire the staff and get them to go through the course right like it serves double duty so yeah. if it's uh if it's too expensive to outsource completely then you can learn the skills and do it yourself so all exactly right. yeah Cool. Thanks for that. And let's get into it. So what is Haro for people that don't even know what we're talking about? Okay. So Haro is help a reporter out. Uh, at Linkify, we use it as a, a catch-all term for uh, 
answering PR requests. Harrow is the biggest platform, so it's sort of taken the um, the title that that people use interchangeably to talk about uh, PR requests. But specifically, Harrow is you you could just use Harrow, but you there are other platforms that um, connect experts with journalists. So the journalists will go onto the Harrow platform. They're looking to um, or they've been commissioned to write an article, uh, oftentimes for massive publications. Not always though, and maybe we'll get to that, but. A lot of the times it's for the biggest sites, biggest publications in the world, and they want to um, improve the quality of their story, the article that they're writing by sourcing or quoting uh, a handful of experts within their piece. Sometimes one expert, sometimes more experts. um, And so they will make a request via Harrow, in this case, uh, asking for an expert in a particular field with specific questions. Often they'll put requirements, so specifically what it is they're looking for, um, and then Everybody who's using Harrow has the uh, opportunity to respond to that journalist's request, uh, answer the journalist's queries, and hope that when the journalist comes to write their article, they will include uh, your commentary, your quote within their within their article, and then also hope, with fingers crossed, that they link back to your website. And if you get that link, then you've just won the game of, of Harrow. Perfect. Why are Haro backlinks uh, better or worse or the same as like a guest posting link? Okay, so Haro Haro links are on the the biggest sites, so you can't really get a link on the big editorial um, publications by by paying for them or by doing a guest post uh, outreach campaign. Uh, so these sites are they they're not going to respond to outreach emails, guest post emails, and uh, those links will often uh, allow you to acquire paid links on smaller publications. And then you enter the debate of whether or not Google knows those links are paid, You know, which in most cases they probably do. And then you have to ask yourself, are you comfortable with uh, building links to your business that at some point Google could turn on a switch that um, penalizes all sites that have links from these uh, paid avenues? Whereas Harrow, is fundamentally white hat. So us answering a request to a journalist, we are trying to get a backlink uh, by earning it through an editorially earned quote given by us, included in the publication written by the journalist and then uh, submitted and published onto that um, editorial website. So it's white hat, it's safe, and you're getting links that that cannot be bought. And more often than not, if you know what you're doing and you know what sites to look for, what journalists to look for, you can get onto websites that have you know, DR80 plus with hundreds and thousands and millions of organic monthly visitors. Uh, and one other thing to mention, uh, I would suggest that depending on your appetite for the way that you build links, whether it's you don't want to do anything proactively at all, or you want to do a little bit, um, there is definitely links that will move the needle, rank individual pages, money pages, um, in which case, you know, I I would suggest if you are actively doing guest post building or just paid links in general, and and you see results and you're prepared for that risk, then use Harrow as part of, uh, or Harrow links as part of an overall link building strategy. 99% of the time, those links will be uh, homepage links, and that's what's gonna build the overall authority of your website, lifting up all of your other SEO, 
mm-hmm. all of your SEO efforts, whether that's you know buying links or just your on-page, you know, your outreach, everything else you're doing. Though that homepage um, Harrow links will lift the authority and the EEAT of your of your whole website. One thing you didn't mention explicitly, but I'll I'll go ahead and say it. Some of the other agencies that do guest post links, right? People can go search for them. Basically, it ends up being content mills, right? So these content mm-hmm. mill websites that will post, you know, guest post links or just link insertions for like mm-hmm. whatever, 10 to 20 or 30 bucks or something like that. So that's generally most of these agencies just have like a database of a bunch of websites that will accept a few bucks and they're charging, right? The agency will charge whatever, a hundred to 400, $500 or whatever. And they're just paying like 10 bucks on the other Mm -hmm. side. Right. And then if you go look at the websites, then you'll see a bunch of shitty post with a bunch of shitty links to bad websites. And it's very clear. So I had a student Mm -hmm. email me the other day, like, Hey, I got these links. They looked pretty good. The stats look pretty good. And the sites get organic traffic. I don't know why my rankings didn't move up. So I went and looked at the, I think it was like four to five backlinks. So I went to look at each one of those posts and each one of the posts had at least three paid links in there. And I knew that they were paid links because number one, my my student, right, my friend, Hi, Philip. <laughs> yeah, so he was on there. But the other thing, there was um, like an agency that paid, and it was like very clear branded links for mm. that agency. So they didn't even separate the links from the different guest posts. They just got, for example, three orders in one day. They went to four websites and then mm-hmm. put the same links from three websites into those. So it was very clear. I just looked at it and I was like, yeah. oh yeah, they put the same, like they're linking out to the same people. This is a clear yeah. footprint that yeah. I uncovered so quickly. So anyway, many of these agencies are just publishing they're, on LinkedIn. They're operating from the same, uh, yeah. from databases that are identical. And uh, and that's why I sort of gave it the caveat of it depends on your risk appetite because yeah. let's be honest, links work. Uh, they're a fundamental part of the Google algorithm. They, they, you know, they have been and they will continue to be so, um, which is why the, you know, I know people that have ranked websites by all they've done is uh, p- uh, paid for links. You know, they build a bunch of links to money pages and they can make loads of money. The problem is, is if you're buying links from the same databases that all the other agencies are using, at some point, Google has the ability to, uh, or they probably already have identified it and yeah, yeah. turn it off. Whereas Harrow links, you're going to um, protect yourself from updates because we know that links work. So if you're going to get links, you, then get links where the trail, where the buck stops on the trail, is Google ever going to pen- penalize that site? Is Google ever going to penalize New York Times, Forbes? Um, MSN, BBC. If it doesn't, pe- if it's never going to penalize those sites, which it won't, then the links that you have from those sites will never damage your site. So that, that's the safety net. Yeah. Okay. So let's go through maybe a little example here. So what happens? Let's say someone wants to try this out for their site, and it's uh, you know kind of a standard affiliate marketing site. Let's say it's a year old. And they have, I don't know, 50 or 100 posts, high quality. They're doing all the things right. And they, they actually have a little traction. Maybe they're getting a little traffic as well. So how does a person start to uh, set things up and approach a campaign on Haro? 
Okay, great question. Uh, so first of all, determine what uh, niche you're in. So Harrow um, and PR requests in general lend themselves to certain niches. So if your website is already in a, a good sort of Harrow friendly niche, um, and they're numerous, but um, also a little bit limited. Um, so what I would first do is determine whether or not your site fits nicely into uh, one of the easy uh, Harrow niches. So if you are a real estate website, real estate's a Harrow friendly niche. If you're an interior design website, interior design's a Harrow friendly niche. So if you fit into one of those niches, then you're good to go. If your site is much more niche specific, so if you operate, um, let's say, uh, a site um, about uh, reading glasses, okay? Something much more specific. This isn't uh, an obvious Harrow niche. So what you need to do is determine if you can legitimately make a connection between your specific smaller niche and a broader niche. So this would be health, I would suggest, which is a Harrow friendly niche. Then you need to position an expert. So the journalists, this may not have been the case five years ago, but now journalists, they only want to quote experts. So if you are running a, a reading glasses website, um, there isn't going to be any queries specifically on reading glasses. You can't answer queries on interior design. It doesn't make any sense. You run a reading glasses website. So you need to be answering health questions. And as a, as a reading glasses website, then you would need to do a little bit of work to get yourself set up, ready to answer Harrow queries. And the way that you would do that is you would need to have a health expert on your site. Okay. Be that a doctor, um, an MD, maybe fitness instructors the thing that makes sense closest to uh reading glasses um well i would assume an optometrist someone somebody like that that makes sense within a, a broader niche from your niche specific website then you do what we have a service for which is called harrow Fice. it was our harrow Fice service you can do this yourself uh all you need to do is borrow and leverage the expertise of that specific expert and the way that you would do that um is you need to find somebody so an optometrist, let's say, or a doctor, an MD, um, ask them to produce some content for your website. Uh, you can often find this with like retired doctors or uh, part-time doctors that are also freelance writing um, and get a handful of content and ask them if you have their permission to pop them on your website on the about page with clear visibility on the about page, author bios on the content they've produced. Uh, and ask if you could list them maybe as like um, a senior editor on the website or, or something like that. So it, it's clear that they're that they're a representative of your brand. And then also ask them if you can have their permission to engage in it's a Harrow campaign and respond to Harrow uh, queries on their behalf. Then you've just got to sell that small part to them, which is trickier and even more so in like YMYL niches. But it's doable. We do it as part of our service. And, and often they'll be pleased because... Uh, you are trying to get something from them, but you are also giving something back to them. So if you say, look, can I pitch Harrow on your behalf? Everything will be above board. I'm not going to make crazy stuff up. It's going to be factually accurate and researched. Uh, I'll get a quote uh, and a link back to my website, but you'll also uh, in exchange have the fact that you have been featured in one of these massive websites. So it's sort of a win-win. Once you've managed to get to that stage, you're then in a position to pitch Harrow as an MD working for chrisesreadingglasses.com, but you're now pitching as a doctor and you're able to answer the health queries. So it might be a health query. Uh, how can somebody, um, they want, um, they're doing a query on, on sun cream on the face, let's say. Ah, this one could be relevant to, to the, 
the, the glasses website, mm-hmm. you could uh, have the doctor answer that and say, sun cream's okay for the face, but you shouldn't get it in the eyes because blah, 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 blah. And then if you win the quote, they're going to say such and such doctor from chrissiesreadingglasses.com. And then that's it. <laughs> perfect. Okay. So perfect answer. It was very dense. So we'll unpack some of the stuff. How do you structure the actual response? So I know when I first heard about Haro, you know, it seemed like, oh, I want to put as many details in there as possible. But after you've sent, you know, dozens, hundreds of responses back, like what kind of structure seems to work the best? Uh, I mean, I don't know if we're if we're 100 percent perfect. And I don't think anybody can be because on the other end of these emails is real people, real journalists. So everybody's looking for something different. But what we found to be successful is to just get your core elements in there. So first of all, Say who you are, where you're from, quickly, not salesy, just straight to the point. You are such and such from this website. If you, well, you should be, uh, have credentials and expertise, get those out in a sentence as well. You know, uh, if you're um, a, a woodworking niche site, say you're a carpenter with 10 years experience, you're from such and such website, have a link to the website. Um, another key thing as well, if you have some historic good features, so if you have previously been quoted in like other big publications, say I've also been quoted in X and Y and Z, um, and then just qualify yourself to answer the query as well. So if they're specifically asking in the requirements or in the query itself, if they're specifically asking for um, a woodworker with 10 years experience, then make sure you say, I am a woodworker with 10 years experience. Because the journalists are getting hundreds of responses and with ai probably thousands now i know there's ai autobot generation tools now that are just answering harrow queries left right and center which is bad in a way for the journalists probably but also it provides a massive opportunity because you can stand out much much easier now just by formulating your responses answer the questions if there's four questions answer four questions um Keep it as short and succinct as possible uh, and don't deviate from what they've asked. Uh, I've seen that. uh, We have we interview a New York Times journalist and um, uh, another uh, big journalist inside of our course. And I asked them what it looks like on the other side. So and they told me that, you know, people that start answering outside of what they've asked for, it's just an instant move on to the next. So make their lives easy. Okay, great. And. This is almost the same question, but I'd, maybe we could tease out some more information. What mistakes do people make, right? So partially it's just the inverse of what you just mentioned of like <laughs> prop, properly structuring, but like as a beginner, what mistakes do you see people making? Or maybe what were some that you made? You mentioned when you first started, you sent like 30 responses before you got your first link. So what yeah. are common mistakes? How can people avoid them? Okay. Yeah. So the the three main ones, I, I don't want to lose my trail of thought here and I'll try and do it quickly. The first one is the responses that you choose to actually go for. So Harrow is not a curated list of publications, although I think there is some sort of uh, mechanisms currently in its current guise. And don't forget Harrow's changing at the end of the year to a different, it's being rebranded to connectively uh, with a new platform and a new dashboard. We've got early access to that. So you can, you can go and have a look as well. Um, I think that is going to be a response to sort of limit the the AI and the spam. But currently, uh, the publications themselves, so the journalists that are making the requests, there can be publications in there that are not 
quote unquote Harrow links. So there'll be crap websites on there. Okay. And they themselves are running backlink scans. So you'll see a publication or a journalist asking a query, you'll respond to the query, and then you'll get a reply back saying, oh, unfortunately, I'm all full up on quotes for this one. However, if you link uh, to this website, I can give you a link from that website. So they're just running a three-way link exchange scam via the, the Harrow platform. If you spent your day answering only five Harrow queries, and those five ones that you've answered are all domains operating Harrow scams, it's a you, you, you've lost before you've even started. So knowing which domains to go for, if they go to linkify.io slash freebie, we've got our um, like curated list of domains which you should go for. So that's a good place to start for that. Um, the other mistake that people make is um, not having the expertise or the requirements of what it is that the journalist has asked for. So if they're asking for a woodworker and you're a swimmer and you have a swimming website, but you say, I'm a swimmer, but I also like woodwork, forget it. You're not going to get it. You've wasted your time doing the pitch. Um, and then finally, the other mistake which people make, um, and especially now in recent months, um, many, many, don't forget Harrow isn't an, an SEO. It's not designed for us SEOs and digital marketers to get backlinks. It's designed for journalists to get expert commentary. So the backlink uh, often is not in any way at the forefront of the journalist's mind. Uh, so they can often forget to link. So the third mistake that people make is not tracking their unlinked mentions. So as an agency, I would say 20 to 40% of the links that we bill clients for at the end of the month that we win, begin their lives as unlinked mentions. So it'll be on the website as a quote from X has said Y, and they just haven't linked to the website. And a simple follow-up email either to the journalist or to the editorial uh, department on the website can result in a backlink in a five-minute email. So those, those are the three main, main ones. What do you put in that email, the follow-up email? Give me a link. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, um, yeah. uh, normally just, uh, hey, I've recently been featured in this article. Thank you so much. The article was amazing. Uh, however, I noticed that you didn't link to me. Um, is there any way that, that you would give me a link? Now, as an agency, we know the domains that will never give a link because it's part of their SEO editorial standards. So even if the journalist wanted to give you a link, and sometimes I've been sent drafts from journalists saying, this is a draft article. Can you check if uh, all the details are correct? It, the article will be going live next week. And you see a link in the Google Doc. You think, oh, brilliant. Then the article goes live and it's on a website where they have a blanket policy of no linking. Many publications are now linking to LinkedIn's instead of URL you know, websites, which is super annoying. Um, and then some publications are no follow linking. Uh, well, many publications are no follow linking, which is fine um, because they're often the biggest publications. But some will um, turn that into a do follow if you just ask as well, which I don't know why, why they don't just do it in the first place. But <laughs> it's a weird Strange. one. Um, yeah. So keeping an eye on all of that can massively increase like your success rate at the end of each month if you're if you're doing Arrow. And how often would you follow up, right? So sometimes you'll send that follow-up email uh, short to the point and then you don't hear anything back. Do you follow up every couple of weeks or something like that until you send three or do you just let it drop? No, I mean, we have a database of the, of the domains that we know a follow-up is, is like successful. So in that case, normally one email is the follow-up and then they'll do it. If they don't, we'll send another one to nudge them to say, can you please not forget me on this? Um, if if we've done that one or two times and with no success, 
and go in all the avenues we can think of, editorial, lead editors, senior editors, sister websites is one that's worked for us. So if you get a the the US version of the Sun often doesn't link, but if you email the UK based editorial department and ask them, say I've just been featured on your sister website in the US and, and you didn't link, well, can you give me a link? Can you please link? They will then do it on the US site. Um, but then if, if we find out that publications have stopped linking or they've changed their policy, then we'll just update and then just either we won't pitch those domains at all or um, we won't follow up and we'll take the we'll take the no follow or yeah, often we'll just blacklist and we, we won't bother pitching those domains. So let's zoom up, uh, zoom out just a little bit. Do you think if you know someone had the website that I described before, if they only focused on Haro links, do you think that's enough for them uh, as like a f foundation of backlinks or do they need to do other stuff too? Again, I think it, I think it depends on your appetite. Um, it depends on the niche as well. I mean, if, if it's a casino site, then they're going to have to make link building, paid link building a part of their like planned budgeting because you can't succeed in casino without pay for links. Uh, but most of most, I, I'm almost certain all your audience aren't in casino or CBD. They're probably in normal, normal niches. Um, so I, I would say it, it depends on your appetite. I mean, I, I wouldn't run a guest campaign now, a guest post campaign now, because I did one and I got 50 links unpaid guest post, which were for me felt like real guest posts because I outreached. They said, yes, I actually wrote a guest post and got a link. I ran the same campaign about two years later and every single person wanted, wanted money for the link. So for me, that it's just become a, um, a paid link game now, guest posting. So I would definitely do Harrow links. I would do Harrow links from day one. Google is not going to think, oh, you've built links too early to this site. If you're getting Harrow links, good Harrow links because they're news links. It's a great foundation and it does much, much more than just, um, stimulate your how google is viewing your site algorithmically from a link perspective it's also uh brilliant for your press badge so for your customers to come to your website and see where you've been featured your eeat as well and just an overall domain lift and then outside of that if you want to do other activities then that's the personal preference I, I don't have an opinion per se on that great okay do you do anything specific to manage the relationships with reporters and journalists that you've had success with in the past? It sounds like you have a pretty good database on, you know, the history of who you've interacted with. So do you do anything to nurture that relationship or stay in touch? Not really, because we're pitching on behalf of our clients, aren't we? So to the journalist, we're the client. So this is we nurture the relationship in the sense that we know which journalists we're pitching, what their personalities are, what they like, what they don't like, what they do. But as, as, as me, Chris Pantelli, or as an agency, we can't sort of talk to them about a link we've just won because we were Doug Cunningham when we won that link or we were someone else, or we were someone else. So we don't nurture the relationship in that way. We just, um, we just know from experience at this journalist, they always like really short and snappy. If we do a really short and snappy uh, response, if we do it as soon as the Harrow email comes out, we've got a really good chance of getting quoted. Ah, this journalist, they want in depth, you know, the, you've got to do something really interesting outside the box. You've got to be 
they only ever quote absolute experts. If they're asking for a finance expert, they're not going to quote you if you say, hello, I run a finance blog. They're going to quote you if you say, hello, I currently run the uh, South Asian arm of HSBC Banking Corporation. Those are the people they're quoting. So know your lane. So we start to learn to know the lane of, of which journalists that we're pitching to when we're doing the responses. Yeah. This will be almost impossible to answer, but I'll, I'll ask anyway. What is kind of the time commitment for running a campaign? And you can frame this however you want. Let's say, again, we'll just use that website that I keep referencing. There's a little bit of content, has some traction. Like how much time does somebody need to put into this to get some results? How much time to, to put into Harrow? Like, yep. yeah. Uh, okay, that's a good question. So what I, what I think is the best way to approach this, if you're not sure what to do, is if you're in a Harrow-friendly niche, let's say you've got a gardening blog, um, look at your competition. You should be able to know other sites that are similar to yours or you know bigger than yours. Look at their homepage. Look at their press badge. Often they'll have featured in homes and gardens, better home and garden, blah, blah, blah. Look at the uh, sort of four or five logos that they've got on their front page. Then start doing Harrow. Just pick one of the emails. Don't do all three. Just pick one. If you're in the US, do the uh, afternoon or the evening one. I think, uh, actually, I'm not sure what time it is US. I know GMT, but yeah, do sure. one of them. <laughs> yeah. um, and just look for those, um, those domains on that email and only answer those ones as well. Because if you are a gardening expert and you have a gardening blog, if you answer enough queries to homes and gardens, better homes and gardens, the garden specific ones that your competitors have got. And I can guarantee, you know, if you put an hour a day, just answering two or three a day, five days a week, you'll, you'll get, you'll get a handful. And once you've got five, you put those on, on the front of your, your website, you'll, you'll notice a lift in your DR. And if you're doing all of your other, your other SEO efforts, well, your on-page, uh, if all that's done well as well, then those five links that you get, they'll, they'll lift everything up uh, over the course of the, I've seen, uh, we've done Harrow links for brand new sites that have got them indexed. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. We've seen sites that have been dead on a downward trajectory. We've done a, a five or 10 link campaign. And within a couple of weeks, it's shot back. Tra traffic's just shot back up. It can be sort of the, what's that called? The, 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 yeah. the defibrillator on a site. Yeah. Because it's, it's sending such good signals to Google, especially if you're getting them, you know, over a, uh, a more condensed period of time. Yeah. One Harrow link a year. It's still good, but it's if you get in, you know, four or five over a, a couple of months, it's sending such good signals to Google that it's, it's going to uh, get get everything going. Perfect. All right, so let's. I think this will lead to AI probably. So, what changes or trends have you observed since you got started with Haro? AI. <laughs> yeah. Um, the. I mean, you should, you should, I think you can use AI, but we're all going to be using it. Everybody else is using it. I think it's how you use it. So I don't think it's, we haven't seen that it's good enough yet to, to write uh, a response that's obviously um, not AI. The journalists spot it. They can spot it straight away. Don't forget they're professional writers, journalists, storytellers, and they want to tell a story with authenticity. So unless authenticity is shining through, in your um in your quote then they're not going to quote you where it can be really useful is research but again with research ai if everyone's researching with ai everyone's doing the same research everyone's given given the same ideas the same answers yeah um 
it's what what it is amazing for is uh, is putting ideas together and then quickly um, putting it in a response. So one way that we've been testing and it's been really successful is if you just uh, get a like an i a note on your iPhone. Uh, do a bit of research. If you're an expert, you probably don't need to do any research on the on the query. If you're a gardening expert and they're asking for the best way to stimulate your tomato plants during the the growing season, and you know the answer, open up a, a, a note, press record, and speak with your own like flurry of English, your own interesting anecdotes, turns of phrase, and answer the question. Don't worry about grammar, spacing, ums, ahs, just blah 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 massive block of text, put that into the AI, ask it to tidy it up, but maintain the style and tone. And what you'll get is uh, an output that is 100% passes all AI tests because it's your words. It's just taking you maybe one tenth the time that it would if you had to hand type, check grammar, blah, 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 blah. So that's the way that I think it's going to go. And that's the way you can already use it. Perfect. Yeah. I was going to say that's probably the not exactly the way that I was thinking you could use it, but just to clean up. And sometimes, you know, people want to give a really thorough answer. So it's a little too long, but you could ask one of the AI tools to make it more concise, remove any redundancy and just have like a tighter answer. And it should mm. largely retain your voice, just like you mentioned from a voice memo. Pretty cool. And, and, and it is fantastic at research as well. So if the journalists are writing about a trending topic, let's say quite an in-depth trending topic of which you are uh, have relative expertise in the broader field, but it's quite a, a chunky story. You could copy two or three websites of, the, of a news article. You could put it all into AI and you could just say, give me a, a two paragraph uh, summary of what's going on here. And then you can read the summary and then you can have an opinion on the summary rather than having to read through you know three or four websites. And any way you can save time, that means you can send more responses and increase uh, your likelihood of winning, winning pitches. Jumping back to something you mentioned before, with the request from the journalist, do you always know the publication that they are um, working for? Ah, uh, you mean the Anon? There are, yeah, there's Anons on there. So we sort of have an in-house policy to not answer the Anons um, unless it's like a perfect um, query for a particular client. And if they've left the name of the person within the Anon request, because then what we can do is um, if it's like a really, really good query for a perfectly aligned client, if we win the Anon domain request, then obviously we know what site it's on. If it's on a garbage site, then we just know blacklist. If sometimes, rarely, but sometimes it's been on a site which is like, okay, this is a really nice site. Uh, that we then know the name of the journalist. So then we can link the name of the journalist to that Anon request. And 99% of the time, the same journalist is just is doing the same request and they're always putting the domain as, uh, as Anon. But as a whole, as a beginner, I definitely wouldn't bother. Just go for the five or six big ones that you've got a chance to get. Perfect. Okay, yeah, very critical piece there. So hopefully people listen to the whole thing so they they heard that. All right, as we're wrapping up here, are there any particular tools or apps or anything like that that you guys use in-house to make this easier in any way? Yeah, well, I mean, we do everything through Airtable. So we've got like a custom uh, script that pulls the, 
queries into Airtable, then we can tag the domains, the quality that we know they are, get rid of the blacklisted ones, blah, 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 blah. But that's all seemingly changing over to the new platform connectively, which I think will give uh, a lot of the functionality uh, that we've like already built in house, <laughs> which is a bit annoying. But so we'll see. I'm not entirely sure. They've been saying that they're going to move over and they're really slow to get back. So I'm not 100% sure what's happening with that. Um, so we'll have to just keep an eye. Uh, but yeah, well, I mean, we use Airtable to sort the queries, but in terms of what other people can use, um, obviously one of the AI tools for like summaries and research is really good. Um, our free database is, is a tool which you should definitely use because it's free. Um, and we'll make improvements to that as well. Um, and ah, another one, um, Google alerts, obviously to track your unlinked mentions. Remember those 20 to 40% of links. And there is a, another free alert tool called Talk Walker, T-A-L-K Walker. Uh, and you can set up a free account on there and you can set your alerts uh, for free. And it's, it's actually quite a lot better than Google alerts. Um, oh. And you want to, and one tip on that is, uh, if you're uh, Chris Pantelli from um, Linkify is the best.com, then you want to put your name, Chris, uh, set the alert as comma, Chris space Pantelli, comma, Christopher space Pantelli, comma, uh, Linkify is the best with spaces, Linkify is the best, no spaces, every which way combination so that you definitely pick up the alert. And then if it's unlinked, send that email, get it turned into a link. Got it. Okay. Good. So uh, it was called Talkwalker. Is that what? That's it. Yeah. Okay. So it picks up some stuff that Google misses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think Google's probably just a little bit um, delayed, but sometimes Google picks up stuff that that one doesn't, and that one picks up stuff that Google doesn't. So if you have both, that's great. And most people have Google alerts anyway. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a, a, a good. It's free as well, so it's, it's definitely good to have. Um, and, and even if you're not doing Harrow. It could be one of those things. I'm sure you get mentioned, Doug, uh, right. on publications. You know, if you see one on an amazing publication, just set, you know, have a VA send, go through them every month, send an email, say, hello, can you please link to my website where you've mentioned me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do have an alert set yeah. up. They do pop up occasionally. Yeah. Okay, so as we're wrapping up here, is there anything else that is important that I didn't ask you about that you want to mention? Um. No, just uh, don't don't be afraid to get like rejected, and and the likelihood is on Harrow you won't actually get rejected. Uh, you just won't hear anything at all. <laughs> so yeah. it's even worse than a rejection because you're just waiting. Don't send like three and then think, oh, I haven't had a response. Like you won't get a response. Um, and also, um, if you are going to start for the first time doing Harrow. Look at it as planting seeds. It's one of these things that if you do and you continually do, some editorial publications have such long lead times on, you know, the date that the journalist is, is sourcing for experts to the time that it's published. The best link we ever got for a client, um, I think was probably a do follow on tripadvisor.com for a travel client. And the, from the moment that we sent the PR request to the moment that the link went live was like over six months. Um, some you'll get like a, two days later uh but yeah just just keep going at it um make sure you show your your authentic voice answer the queries um and check those alerts perfect all right this is great chris thanks for joining me today where should people find you uh okay yeah twitter linkify uh linkify underscore um uh, on our website linkify.io 
um yeah or send me an email chris at linkify.io i do respond so that'd be awesome all right. Yeah, we'll link up to all that stuff. And don't forget, folks, you can get uh, the 20% off for the packages over at Linkify or for the course if you want to you know, do it yourself, which is totally fine. All right, Chris, thanks a lot. And we'll catch up soon. Thanks for having me, Doug. It's been brilliant. Cheers.